workers landed a few days later, and in October, Major James P. S. Devereux, USMC, arrived from Hawaii to take command. Devereux brought with him two five-inch naval cannon, which had been removed from obsolescent and scrapped battleships, four three-inch anti-aircraft cannon, only one of which had the required fire control equipment, twenty-four fifty-caliber machine guns, and a large number, probably about one hundred, of air- and water-cooled thirty caliber Browning machine guns, and, of course, a stock of ammunition for his ordnance. Nine Marine officers and two hundred enlisted men from the Navy base at Pearl Harbor arrived on 2 November 1941, bringing the strength of the 1st Defense Battalion to approximately half of that provided for in the table of organization and equipment. On 28 November 1941, Commander Winfield Scott Cunningham, USN, was detached from the aircraft tender USS Wright, after the Wright brothers, with nine Navy officers and 58 sailors to wake to take control of the air station already under construction. As senior officer, Cunningham replaced Devereux as commander of the United States Forces Wake Island. A 5,000-foot runway was completed, and U.S. Army B-17 aircraft began to use Wake Island as a refueling stop en route to Guam, although it was necessary to fill the aircraft tanks by hand-pumping avgas from 55-gallon barrels. On 3 December 1941, the USS Enterprise launched at sea 12 Grumman F-4F fighters of Marine Fighter Squadron VMF-211 under Major Paul Putnam, USMC. They landed on the Wake Island landing strip that afternoon, and steps were immediately taken to begin bulldozing revetments for the aircraft. On Sunday, 7 December 1941, Saturday, 6 December 1941, in Hawaii, Major Devereux gave his command the day off. His Marines swam in the surf, played softball, and many of them, most of the young, recently recruited enlisted men, hurried to complete letters home. The letters would be carried to civilization aboard the Pan-American Philippine Clipper moored in the lagoon, which would take off at first light for Guam. Reveille sounded at 0600, 8 December 1941. While the Marines had their breakfast, the Pan-American crew prepared the Philippine Clipper for flight. At 0650, the radio operator on duty at the air station communication section attempting to establish contact with Hickam Field, Hawaii, began to receive uncoded messages, which did not follow established message transmission procedures, to the effect that the island of Oahu was under attack. He informed the duty officer, who went to Major Devereux. At 0655, the Philippine clipper rose from the lagoon and gradually disappeared from sight in the bright blue morning sky. When he was told of the Oahu under attack message, Major Devereux attempted to contact Commander Cunningham by telephone, but there was no answer. When he hung up the telephone, it immediately rang again. It was the communications shack. There was an urgent message from Hawaii now being decoded. Has the clipper left? Yes, sir. Call it back, Devereux ordered, and then sent for his field music, his bugler. Yes, sir. Sound call to arms, Major Devereux ordered.
Admiral Husband Kimmel's Pacific Fleet and the Navy base at Pearl Harbor had been grievously wounded by the Japanese attack on December 7, 1941. But that is not the same thing as destroyed. The battleship force of the Pacific Fleet had been essentially wiped out at its moorings. Battleship Row at Pearl Harbor, together with a number of other men-of-war and supply ships, and there had been great loss of aircraft and material. But the fleet was not totally lost, nor were its supplies. There were three aircraft carriers available, the Saratoga, the Enterprise, and the Lexington, as well as a number of cruisers, plus a large number of smaller men-of-war. On December 13, 1941, Admiral Kimmel, who expected to be relieved at any minute as the Navy and indeed the nation searched for somebody on whom to blame the fleet.